Hi, everyone. It is your daily business and finance news wrap for this Tuesday, the 22nd of August, 2023. Later on Market Day, we'll speak with Martin Lakos. He is from Macquarie about the day's market action, including his take on the results from BHP and Coles today. But we will start with that BHP result, a fully profit of 12.9 billion US dollars. But that's a decline of 58% on falling commodity prices. For more, I spoke with its chief financial officer, David Lamont, and first asked him about his take on China's economic slowdown. Yes, yeah, certainly China at the moment is an interesting place to, to follow. For us, what we're seeing is two parts to that part, uh, equation. The first one is we are seeing some reasonably strong performance in, in green tech, in manufacturing, in automotive uh, side of the equation. The part that we're also watching closely, though, is the real estate market, as you reference. What we're seeing there is completions occurring strongly, but we're not seeing new starts. And that's what the Politburo's policy was aiming to actually address. Now, we need to watch that and see how that would pull through. That's an important segment for us in relation to the overall steel outcome. But I would just reference at this point that we're seeing that, that China will still do over a billion tonnes of steel for the fifth year running in relation to this current calendar year. But the Politburo's policies are something that we need to continue to, to monitor. In your economic outlook, you note India as having a more balanced demand picture. So I guess how soon until India becomes an even more appealing market to BHP? Well, let me start by saying India is already an appealing market for BHP. When the coal bans were put on in China uh, for Australian coal, we were able to quickly pivot our coal exports into the Indian market. And India is already a key market for us. Now, what you referenced is clearly the growth that we do see in that steel output in, in India, and that will remain a good balance for us in relation to the overall exposure to, to China as well. Importantly, I would just reference that if you put China and India together, they will represent over half the world's GDP for the current uh, calendar year. So given all those forces, where do you see iron ore prices going? And those peak prices we saw during the pandemic, can they ever be reached again? Well, certainly what we did see on the iron ore market is a lot of it's coming from a cost perspective. So for us, record production out of our Western Australian iron ore operation, our C1 cash costs were up 5%, and that was the lowest in the industry. So the rest of the industry are seeing costs well in excess of that 5% growth. Now, what that does is it underpins the overall economics that needs to play out for the marginal cost producer. And our base there is that we see in the medium term prices roughly around $80 to $100 a tonne for iron ore. Now, that is still very strong prices for our business in Western Australia. What I would also, though, come back to is that fly-up pricing that we saw back in the COVID pre-pandemic side of things was a blip. We certainly aren't heading back towards $200 plus, uh, dollars on iron ore, but very comfortable at that $80 to $100, and that will deliver strong growth uh, and performance for BHP shareholders. What is the future now for BHP and the role it plays in meeting the changing global demands for materials? So I'd reference a couple of things for us. Firstly, what we are seeing in the acquisition of the Oz Minerals assets is we're able to create a significant copper province in South Australia. 
And that is exciting for us as we integrate the Carabatina, the prominent hill sites, in with our Oak Dam and Olympic Dam sites. Uh, we're very pleased by the staff that we've actually inherited from Oz Minerals as well, as they've become part of our BHP family. And we see that as a really strong area of growth for us. Equally, I would reference our Janssen development over in Canada in the potash segment. Um, that's on track uh, to deliver tonnes in FY26, which is nine months earlier than what we had originally anticipated when we uh, approved the project. So for us, future-facing commodities is where we're focusing a lot of our growth attention. And that is in copper, it's in nickel, and it is in the potash market. And we're excited by what that can deliver for shareholders. Can we talk inflation? You've noted the impact of inflation on your cost base was narrowing, but that labour costs remain the key forward-looking inflationary risk. There's some proposed regulatory reform here, which also has the potential to add significantly to labour costs. So how are you managing all of that? Yes, yeah, so let me start by saying that labour represents around about 40% of our overall costs. Now, whether that's direct labour or it's the labour that we have through our contractors that we have. So it's a significant portion of our cost base. What we need to be able to do is continue to think about how we are more productive and we get more units out. Uh, importantly, what we were able to do in the year just gone is we grew our copper equivalent output by 3%. So focusing in on tons and how we get them out the gate is a good way to offset the inflationary aspects that flow through from the labour part of the market. Now we do recognise that that is a bit of a lag effect and that's what we've called out in relation to FY24 that labour remains a risk and we need to continue to see how policies are in place that enhance the productivity that we need to see across our operations. Artificial intelligence is a key buzzword in corporate Australia at the moment. Uh, how does BHP use it and what are the opportunities? Yes, certainly technology and innovation is one of the ways that we'll actually address that productivity question that I addressed earlier. So we're certainly looking at that uh, in a variety of different areas. So AI is something that we're looking at. We're able to do that to think about recoveries as a clear example in our copper operations. By actually using artificial intelligence, we're better able to manage the throughput through our uh, operations. So we're early stages for us, but we're leaning into it and we're investing more in that innovation space. Finally, what's BHP's position on an Indigenous voice to Parliament? Why? And are you financially backing the campaign one way or another? Yeah, so it's important to understand that we've always been a strong supporter of the Illaru Statement from the Heart. It's also important to understand that for us, we actually have around about 8% of our workforce is Indigenous. So we're a strong supporter of a voice to Parliament. We always have been. We think that it makes sense to have recognition of our traditional owners, understanding also that we operate on their sites. Uh, we have really good uh, arrangements and respectful uh, positions with our Indigenous partners and we'll continue to work with them and advocate where we see sensible uh, to do so. David Lamont there, the CFO of BHP. Let's now go to Woodside Energy, which saw a half-year profit of 1.74 billion US dollars. That's an increase of 6%. But it's facing a more immediate issue, and that's possible strike action at its northwest shelf 
offshore facilities, and that's a major LNG producer for the world. So for more on that and the results, I spoke with its CEO, Meg O'Neill. Look, we've been engaged in bargaining discussions with our employees on the offshore platform since about April this year. Uh, I think the discussions have been going pretty well. We've been uh, spending a lot of time listening, trying to really understand the employees' key areas of concern. Uh, we've made good progress in closing out a number of those key issues. Uh, discussions are still continuing. You know, there's still open items around uh, wages and terms and conditions. Uh, look, I feel like the tone of the discussion has been quite constructive. We're trying to be uh, respectful and open throughout and uh, to continue to communicate with our employees. And so, you know, tomorrow's meeting will be important. Uh, but as you might anticipate, these enterprise agreements are quite big, complex documents. And so uh, we just need to make sure we're investing time and engaging really constructively with our employees to ensure we get to an outcome that both parties support. Do you have any contingency plans if product does stop flowing? Look, I, I think it's worth noting that protected industrial action can take a number of different forms. Uh, the, the employees have voted for a range of possible actions. We don't know what uh, they're likely to declare. Um, those range from things that are just frustrations, you know, slowdowns or not performing certain sorts of activities, uh, all the way to uh, more extreme complete work stoppages, and, and we don't know what's going to be proposed. I would hope that given the tone of the discussions that uh, we would, uh, you know, that the union would start with a more modest level of action, but I, I really don't know how that's going to proceed. So again, our focus is on ensuring that we maintain safe uh, operations through any industrial action that might happen uh, and continue to have those open discussions with our workforce. But worst case scenario, are there any contingency plans? Look, if, if there's no gas going to the plant, there's you know not a whole lot we can do. So, um, yeah, we'll just continue to have those those bargaining discussions. Uh, as I said, our focus is on engaging in a constructive and respectful way, and continuing to narrow the list of issues. And uh, the discussions thus far have been quite constructive uh, in that direction. And you know, hopefully tomorrow's meeting will continue to take some things off the table. So European gas prices have soared in recent days as a result of this threat of industrial action. What does that say about the demand supply dynamics right now? Yeah, the, the market is really quite fragile. Uh, following Russia's invasion of Ukraine last year, that uh, significantly disrupted global energy flows. Uh, both oil, uh, natural gas, even coal were significantly affected. Uh, now, while, while the market has stabilized this year and we've seen Europe be better prepared in terms of the level of gas they have in storage at this, uh, at this point in time, uh, the fact that the price has moved so much based on the uh, kind of prospect of a potential industrial action suggests to me that the market is still very finely balanced. Uh, so, you know, gas is still very much in demand and, you know, how the demand plays out over the next six months will depend on a variety of things like how cold is winter in Europe and uh, how much does Chinese industrial activity pick up. Um, so those are factors that we watch very closely. But, you know, again, back to the industrial action, we continue to engage, I think, constructively and respectfully with our workforce and hope to come to an agreement. A record interim profit. How much of it is organic? How much a contribution from the purchase of BHP's petroleum assets? And how is that integration going? 
Yeah, so uh, when we compare this first half to last year's first half, last year we only had a one-month contribution from the BHP petroleum business, and this first half, of course, we've got a full six months. Uh, so a portion of the increased in, increase in revenue and increase in profit is associated with the merger. Uh, the, the integration has gone exceptionally well. You know, I'm really pleased with the uh, capability that uh, we've been able to bring together. The two uh, cultures are coming together really nicely and I feel like we're starting to work as one Woodside. Uh, some different perspectives, you know, there are different perspectives from the two heritage businesses and bringing those perspectives together I think is delivering value. Uh, and as we reported at the year end last year, you know, delivering on our synergies, delivering on our commitments, uh, really proud of how the organization has responded. Given the discussion around renewable energy at the moment, the move to net zero, what do you see as Woodside's role in the global energy transition? Yeah, there's two things that are important to us. First and foremost is we need to be uh, addressing emissions from our own business and we've got an ambition to, actually we have a target to reduce our own uh, net equity scope one and two emissions by 30% by 2030. Uh, so that's basically trying to reduce our own net emissions. Uh, the second thing that we're doing is investing in some of the uh, products and services that the world will need that have lower carbon intensity. So this is things like hydrogen, ammonia, CCS. Uh, we've set ourselves a target of investing $5 billion in these sorts of commodities. Uh, and very excited that uh, our first hydrogen project, we want to be ready to be able to make a final investment decision on by the end of this year. Uh, that's actually a project in the US, so super excited about that. And finally, what is Woodside's position on the Indigenous Voice to Parliament? Why and are you financially backing the campaign one way or another? So we work very closely with a number of Indigenous groups uh, through our operations in the Pilbara. Uh, when the Uluru Statement from the Heart was issued, uh, we backed it as a corporate because we think it is a very articulate representation of what First Nations want in Australia. Um, we do support the Yes uh, campaign we do think Indigenous people having a voice to government about matters that affect them will deliver better outcomes. So we are supporting that. Meg O'Neill there from Woodside Energy. Now, Market Day on the SBS On The Money podcast. The Australian share market rose today. The S&P ASX 200 up only just by 0.1%, 7,121. The market didn't like results from BHP, nor that of Coles. For more on all of the day's market action, here's Martin Lakos. He is a division director at Macquarie Private Wealth. Well, the broader indices in the US were actually uh, somewhat flat, but it was the NASDAQ that absolutely stood out. We saw both Tesla and in particular NVIDIA, the AI group, which is up 8% overnight, supporting uh, the tech issues. But we also saw what we call the tech utilities. So you know, Alphabet, Amazon and Microsoft all uh, scoring higher values as well, up between 0.7 and up 1.5%. So that certainly had a, a better positive tone for the start of our day. But we've had a whole range of mixed results in our market that has really kept our, our market index at bay. So we had the uh, the major banks making modest gains. Obviously, BHP, a big influence, has been down on the day. And elsewhere, you know, tech, tech stocks, although it's not a big influence on the overall index, have actually done very well also. 
Let's talk about BHP and that result. Um, reporting season rolling on. BHP, $12.9 billion US profit, down 58%. A total dividend, $1.70 US. It seems to have missed market expectations. Why? Well, it sounds like a big big miss at 58% down, but that was very much factored in by most analysts across the marketplace. So obviously with much weaker commodity prices over the last 12 months or so from where we saw them uh, you know, in 2022, you know, there was an expectation in analyst forecasts already that the, that the number would be down from the previous year. From a Macquarie perspective, it, it missed our mark by about 4%. So we were expecting a softer result. There's no doubt the dividend was softer and we did see basically the cost side basically a little bit higher. Also, the guidance on capital expenditures, that's future investment by BHP, was certainly higher. So that starts to erode, you know, the usage of cash flows. And so we're probably expecting to see some further downgrades by analysts across the market going into the 2024 outlook. Uh, David Lamont, the BHP CEO, told me that uh, the company's really looking at uh, what's happening out of China in terms of Chinese economic policy and what's coming out of the Politburo there. So on China, is market sentiment really turning on the opportunities being presented for investors there? I think that this, at this point in time, there's still uncertainty about the outlook for the Chinese economy overall. And I guess to some extent, some are looking for basically almost a big bazooka to basically stimulate the Chinese economy. And quite clearly, the authorities are not going in with that bazooka. They're basically stimulating by stealth. Although, interestingly, overnight, we found the authorities did continue to cut interest rates. So not only are they using monetary policy, but they are definitely expanding credit, which means that the Banks have got uh, the ability to lend more. And the, the Politburo is now contemplating things like cutting the mortgage rate, uh, cutting the requirements on, uh, on property purchases. So they're pr- trying to expand that going forward. But it's not all bad news. We're still seeing retail sales reasonably strong, but the longer-term investment numbers are definitely weakening off. So it's very much mixed uh, coming out of China. But we think overall the Chinese economy works best when it's running at about 5% or more. That's their target. And we would expect to see the Chinese continue to stimulate in one form or another to achieve that target. Okay. Another profit result out today. Coles. Shares tumbling, though, the most since March 2020 following its results. Why? Because isn't it capitalising from higher prices being passed on to the consumer? Well, that's part of it. But And, and when we looked at that result, uh, the, the revenue numbers or the sales numbers were reasonably in line. But what we did find was a really a whole range of one-offs that has really put uh, the result uh, down below expectation. There's absolutely no doubt that, you know, the cost of doing business, so we're talking about cost of staffing uh, to some extent, transport costs are all, you know, obviously these, these cost of issues for businesses overall, that's definitely having an impact. And Coles is taking this very seriously because they've articulated they're putting in place a $1 billion cost out program uh, over the next four years. So let's uh, call that roughly $250 million a year. So this is reflective of most businesses. But I guess to some extent, if we are expecting the Australian economy to continue to soften for the rest of this year, it may well be that the uh, selective consumer discretionary businesses are not the place to be and consumer staples is. But there's absolutely no doubt that this is a soft a result and certainly one that disappointed the market and hence we saw the stock fall down close enough to six percent at one stage.
we must be getting close to the middle or at least the peak of profit reporting season at the moment. Um, you know, what are you seeing as a highlight? So what are the key themes that you're noticing? Well, the first two weeks of the profit season was actually probably better than we were anticipating. And our Macquarie strategist was basically saying the number of uh, upgrades versus downgrades was slightly better than we had anticipated. But last week's set of results and what we're seeing so far this week today, it would be suggesting that we're seeing the second half of the reporting season probably being a bit weaker. And it does, in fact, look like from last week, that ratio of upgrades to downgrades. And what we're really talking about is what are analysts in the marketplace looking at going into 2024? So that ratio of upgrades to downgrades is basically half. That is more downgrades than upgrades by a factor of two. We're also seeing that guidance commentary is becoming a little more negative. And certainly on the dividend side, we're seeing a bit of softness in dividends now as compared to the first two weeks. Now, this is a huge week, Ricardo. Uh, not only have we had some big results today, but we've got about 39 results that Macquarie covers tomorrow and more through the rest of this week. So an enormous amount of information for the market and investors to be absorbing. So again, it takes a little while for us to go through all that. Martin Lankos there from Macquarie. This SBS on the Money stream is provided for informational purposes only. The content in this stream should not be understood as constituting advice or a recommendation. It is not personal advice and it does not consider your personal circumstances or objectives. You should contact a licensed professional before making any financial decision.